Welcome to Middle School Walk and Talk, a podcast series offering heart, hope, and help to members of our middle school communities. Take a walk with hosts Phyllis Bagel and Joe Mazza as they discuss self-care, student well-being, school culture, and more. Middle School Walk and Talk is designed to support the concepts found in the book, The Successful Middle School, This We Believe, and is a production of the Association for Middle Level Education. Learn more at amle.org. Today's episode, addressing students' FOMO and social isolation during COVID disruption. So we wanted to talk about, um, you know, just FOMO uh, in particular from our students. Uh, um, When I was talking to you the other day, I was was talking about uh, our students. Let's say it's a sixth grade student uh, who last year was able to go to recess and hang out with all of his friends and all of her friends. And uh, this year, they only get to go to recess with their pod, you know, of uh, 12 to 14 kids and um, maybe their buddy pod, who's another 12 to 14 kids um, in a similar recess location. But that's it. Um, anyone that they were best buds with uh, last year or previous years or they, they live right next to or whatnot, uh, they can see them playing with other kids from a distance. Uh, so just, just talking about what that means um, from a social standpoint, uh, I was with my own kiddo, my eight-year-old, uh, this weekend, and it really got me thinking because uh, he did a little socially distanced play date with a friend that used to be in his class, but not this year, and, and that was when it hit me. He told me that uh, I get to see him play every day at recess from the other side of the fence, uh, and it just it's that struck me. I was talking to middle schoolers in Vancouver at a girl's school in Vancouver last week, and they had the same issues that we're having and that we're seeing with our own kids and with our students, just this fear, not just that it's hard. I mean, it's hard as it is to read social cues if you're interacting with kids in masks or if you're physically distanced from them. And then they're all so insecure because they're middle schoolers to begin with. And they're feeling even more insecure because they had this big gap between when they last had quality and quantity time together. And then you add in this cohort element. And a lot of them are worried that they won't have their friends that they had last year when all of this is over and when this all shakes out. Right, right. We we are a school that, um, you know, really takes the ruler program from Mark Brackett up at Yale, um, emotional intelligence, that program pretty seriously. And, um, you know, from the point of they come in and they see the mood meter and we check in and we talk about meta moments and we've got charters. And um, so we've really been trying to lean on that as much as possible just to kind of see where we are and be okay with expressing our emotions and, um, you know, what do we do with those emotions? So um, I, I think that's been really important for us to just see where we are and, and uh, not everybody's in a great place, you know, from day to day and um, our staff as well. We do the, the, the whole staff mood meter at, uh, at faculty meetings, but I, it's just, it's really concerning to me uh, that those things are happening. We're talking a lot about academics, which of course, you know, kids miss on academics from March to June. Um, but there are things that are happening in front of us every day that, that I'm a little bit worried about. Yes, and I think that you have to consider that the kids who are not in school at all, they're feeling all of those feelings only on steroids. It's exponentially worse to not be in person at all. And the loneliness and sense of isolation a lot of them are feeling is frankly scary to me of self-harm or desire to harm themselves that I haven't really heard 
uh, in a long, to this degree, forever, really, in the time that I've been working with kids. And we know that kids already, that the suicide rate among 10 to 14 year olds was, had doubled between 2007 and 2014. So I don't think this is something that we can afford to neglect, particularly since we know that kids in this age group, half the time we're looking at suicide, it's not depression, it's impulsivity. And kids also are so bad at identifying when they need support or when they need to ask an adult and not another peer for support. So we have to have, and there are fewer eyes on the ground because everyone's overwhelmed and maybe they're not even in school. And so the only people laying eyes on them are their parents. Yeah, I think when we find kids that are, you know, in the blue area, uh, quote unquote, you know, and they do use words like depression or depressed or uh, lonely or whatnot, um, more often than others, you know, as they check in their emotions. Um, is there a check for that? You know, is there somebody that's watching, uh, whether it's a parent or a teacher, um, noticing a pattern, uh, whatnot? Because, you know, those things, those things happen. There's not anything written on a kid's uh, forehead, so to speak. They don't typically write notes to their friends and um, to their teachers about how they're feeling all the time. I think this goes back to the every kid needs a trusted adult at school uh, for those conversations to, you know, happen, uh, at least have a good chance of happening. Um, but, you know, right right now, I think, you know, we, we just had a, a student voice meeting last last Thursday with all of our remote kids. We've got about 60, 70 remote kids. Um, and, uh, you know, just to give those kids a voice and to say, Hey, you know, you might not be here, but we miss you. We care about you. You know, this is still your school. Um, what are some things, sorry, I got an airplane flying over me. What are some things that, uh, you're noticing, you know, (laughs) what are the things that, you know, we're not doing for you? You know, are there tech issues? Like just being a, a, an ear to engage them, to re-engage them, to continue to let them know that they're just a bit of school is everybody else um, in the building. Yes, and for us, one of the things that I've been doing is trying to form a group for the kids who are remote so that they can have a space to talk about the unique feelings that they're experiencing as one of the few who's remote with other students in the same position. There are some grades that have many kids who are remote and some that have very few. And one of the things that I've has come up in my school community here in Washington, D.C., is that because we're an independent school and because some kids have farther to travel, there are some equity concerns because it's harder for kids to come for a hybrid program for just a few hours if you live very far away. And then the other thing we've noticed is that there's a greater number of students of color who are choosing to learn remotely uh, in comparison to our white students. And so that's something that our diversity, equity, and inclusion committee has been looking at and trying to problem solve a bit. So one of the things that one of our students did recently that I thought was really great is she's a sixth grader. She's on the student council. She met with one of the students who is learning remotely. I was in this meeting too. And she took notes on the things that were really bothering this student. And some of the things were feeling like she was ignored on the simulcast, that people forgot she was there. And so we were problem solving, you know, do we want to go back to using equity sticks, you know, so that we're making sure we're calling on the kids equally that are at home. I know that when I go in to teach health and wellness, I'm sticking my face in the camera just to talk to those kids because I want to make sure they don't feel left out. 
And, and it's, you know, I think our teachers are learning how to utilize technology in front of them, technology that the kids are using, as well as, you know, in our case, they've also got real live students in front of them in the same room and, and trying to make that balance uh, and not feel like they're leaving anybody hanging. Um, one of the suggestions that, that um, you know, some of our kids came up with uh, were, hey, is there a buddy? You know, remember the old jobs and classes that we did in elementary school? And, you know, is there a buddy that we can kind of change from a week to week or cycle day? You know, that there's kids that look out, hey, that kid's got his hand up, um, so to speak. I think we can think of lots of different Zoom features that, you know, something could turn red on the outside or something. But, you know, a lot of times kids need or have a question, but um, they're not able to ask it when like a normal kid would in the class they could easily put their hand up and everyone can see it. But, um, the little hand option on the zoom is not so big. It's like a, you know, yeah. a tiny piece on the upper left-hand corner of the, uh, the zoom window. Um, but that's yeah, important. Those things matter when you, when you, when you don't get called on as a kid, uh, over and over again, you just give up. Um, yes. and one of my favorite comments from a middle schooler who was my student several years ago at this point, he said, I feel judged and ignored. And I think middle school is the only time that you can simultaneously feel judged and ignored. <laughs> you know, everyone's criticizing you and yeah. also no one's looking at you. And I kind of, this whole experience is bringing that mood back for me, for students. I think there's that sense of Am I worthy? Do people miss me? Do I have a place? Do I belong in this community? And at the same time, feeling just, you know, invisible and, and feeling like you need to matter, which we know is so important for kids in this age group. Yeah. And, you know, for, for other kids that maybe are on the screen, um, you know, aren't, not so much. I, I can't ask my question, but, you know, I'm a little self-conscious and I don't want my face in 72 inches up on a screen so everyone can <laughs> see me. Uh, maybe, you know, I've got some uh, acne or, or something on my face that I don't want everyone to see, you know. So, so little social things like that that, you know, we're not always thinking of first and foremost. These are real issues. Um, and, you know, if you don't think that there's conversations on phones going later on in the day, you know, after school, um, that might refer back to any social situations in school. Um, that's a whole other ballgame. It's a whole other world that, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's going on. And the kids who are not comfortable being on screen, a lot of them are not comfortable being on screen simply because other people are not on screen. And I actually, I have a couple of friends, teacher friends who have this amazing Thursday night TV show called the Pile Power Hour. It's between two middle schools, North Bethesda and Pile. And when I was a guest and just listening to them run this show and they had homonyms and riddles and kahoot and they really made it fun, they put the adults into different breakout rooms. And when I asked the students what they liked best about the Pile Power Hour, they said it's the one place where the other kids will turn their camera on. And this is, both of those schools are fully virtual. So they're not getting any in-person interaction unless their families are comfortable with outdoor socially distanced or pod arrangements, which we know that different families are comfortable with different levels of that. So there are some kids who that might be the only thing that they're getting all week, but that might be enough to sustain them. So I think we have to be looking for all the different ways that we can provide that touch point, that we can provide a place for them to connect with a caring adult and connect with their peers in a, in a way that's inclusive and structured, particularly for kids who might not have the social skills to make those connections on their own. 
So back to FOMO, you know, and, yeah. and kids missing out, you know, on opportunities. And, you know, we're about to get our club started up here. They're all going to be virtual to start with, but it, but at least it's something social that's not, you know, directly academic with only their own pod or buddy pod. You know, you can do a club across all the kids and all of the great. Uh, I think that, you know, the teachers got to think things through in a different way, um, be extra creative and think through the lens of, you know, what can you do virtually? But, um, you know, breaking down those particular barriers is, is really important. It's really challenging, too, because these kids have now been in the same pod for, you know, going on our third month. And, and um, we're going to start to introduce some activities that take them out of that area, especially hard to meet new students uh, in this virtual way. And I think at least in our school, we have a lot of new students this year, in part because we're a hybrid program and the public schools are not in person. And so for families who are looking for in-person instruction, we had an influx of new students. And I've heard the same from some of the clients I work with in private practice from the kids themselves, that it's been very hard to figure out how to know who, who you can trust, how to form bonds with people who you're only seeing half their face and are only meeting in this really extreme, unusual time. And they need, they need a lot of support and a lot of the structural things we put into place for kids typically whether it's those activities or sports they're not engaging in or and they're certainly not engaging in them in the same way and so there's more pressure on them to do it on their own and so i i hope that and a lot of parents have said to me how can i support my kid how can i help them make friends and branch out i really almost want to flip that whole paradigm and say all of us all of us adults all of us parents all of us teachers should be looking for ways to reach out and to include the one who's new or the one who's socially awkward and and viewing it as almost a community responsibility to lift up those kids who we know are isolated to a greater extent than others yeah I mean, all you got to do is walk around the, the recess lunch area, you know, when you're outside, if it's an in-school thing. Um, but if you're remote, you know, you, you pretty much know that you're, that, that kid is eating by themselves every day, unless you do a virtual lunch group, you know, and you yeah, put some great. of those other kids together um, that happen to be remote as well from the same grade. I mean, there are certainly things that we can do if we think about it. Um, you know, mo and, moving forward, but helping kids feel less left out. And, and I think part of what makes that challenging is that teachers are so tapped out and counselors yeah, are tapped out yeah. and administrators are tapped out. You know, the, the thought of adding another couple of groups can sometimes feel overwhelming to the adults who are working with these kids, because as it is, I know most of the teachers I work with are, as it is, writing lessons, minutes sometimes where they're delivering them because everything keeps changing and the modality is changing. And when the modality changes, the way you write that lesson is going to change. So we're trying to help kids at a time when none of the educators are at their peak. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a huge point. Um, you know, and at the same time on the, on the home front too, for those remote learners, you know, that we just talked about, you know, a lot of parents aren't even paying attention, let alone, you know, trying to, support them in ways that are outside just being on a device for a period of time during the day and having, you know, the food that they need, um, so to speak, and helping them stay on schedule. Um, you know, there, there's no bandwidth left, you know, for a lot of the things that we're talking about here. I think we've got to take a look at, you know, how did September and October go? What have we learned? You know, are we focused mm -hmm. on the right things, you know, as we kind of reflect a little bit? You know, are there some tweaks that we can make? 
whether it be the schedule, whether it be, you know, the, the questions that we're asking, the way we're delivering lessons, you know, perfection is, is not a thing. You know, I think teachers continue to try and record five times and do all those kind of things. (laughs) You're, you're already defeated, you know, once you kind of go down that road. And I think too, we, we need to do, uh, what we can to leverage kids to help other kids because it's win-win. So if we can figure out a way to get a student to help another student, and, and I actually, the meeting I had right before this was a sixth grader who was mentoring a third grader because I'm in the K through eight, and they have a different, they have a very similar family situation. One of them, the younger child is new, and the older student was really validating how the younger child felt and just being there for them. And I think that she not only felt that she was more connected and this is somebody who's continuing to learn virtually, but I think she felt really good about helping somebody else. Absolutely. I mean, that's the best case scenario, you know, when it's a peer um, or it's another student, they'll listen to that student before they listen to you and me. You know, we've got a little situation that's growing where there's high school kids helping some of our eighth grade mathematics students. Um, We've also got student council members really kind of game planning for some of the challenges that our remote students have. Um, But yeah, getting the students to step up and be part of the solution. Uh, We can't do it ourselves anyway, but um, I think you've got kids that are also looking for leadership opportunities, looking for ways to help um, this, the situation, um, they don't have quite I, as many responsibilities as a, as a teacher does. And some of these kids really, true. really kind of buy into school, um, in different ways. And we giving those opportunities. Yes. I had a, a former student who's now a ninth grader and in a new school who was, you know, struggling with that transition, didn't know anyone is completely virtual and hadn't yet really made that the friends that she anticipated making simply because she hadn't been attending school physically in person. And I invited her to come back to my new student group. So she talked to all of my middle schoolers who were new to our school and commiserated and validated and talked about why it was hard. And I think that we can't underestimate the power of simply bearing witness to someone's struggle, to validating how they feel, to saying this is hard, but it can get better. And here is what we're doing proactively to make our situation better. So she was able to say, I spoke to my advisor. I joined the newspaper. I joined the debate club. And she was really modeling for these students that even when things are hard, there are things you can do to improve your own situation. And that was powerful from both directions. Absolutely. And you know what? I think we can say the same thing for our teachers you know, for our educators, you know, I think we can just continue to feel like it's just this never ending load of responsibility and, and work and, um, you know, uncertainty. I think it's a year of, you know, getting comfortable with ambiguity, which is completely like against what we typically do because we're so structured as teachers and we have to know what's happening a month out. Um, we got to take care of ourselves. You know, the negative self-talk, you know, as I've tried to support colleagues with is, is not going to get you anywhere. You know, don't let friends or issues, you know, rent free space in your head. Um, I think it's just really important that we continue to remember how to take care of each other and not just admire the, the mental health approach, you know, for educators. We've got to take yeah. charge. We've got to help each other. There's, a, there's research that really struck me that shows that if you give someone a choice between getting a painful electric shock and having a small chance of getting a painful electric shock, they'll choose 
to get just go ahead and get it over with and get the painful electric shock. That is how much we're wired to avoid that uncertainty and that ambiguity. And I think just simply understanding that this is hard for a reason that we don't that cognitive dissonance is so uncomfortable for us as human beings can help us sit with the discomfort a little bit better. And when we get through it, we'll all be better off for it. It's hard to swallow right now, but you know, our, our, our school, our kids, our teachers, the whole outlook on getting through something, you know, as challenging as all of this is and continues to be. So, yeah, there's, there's no question that on the other side of this, and that's the reframe I think we all need is just that whole hero's journey idea, right? Like we can come through this and we will be changed, but we don't have to be diminished. We can be stronger for having experienced these hardships. We will. And we got to keep, keep being positive. You know, we got to keep being yes. positive and keep uh, holding each other up. And, you know, there are going to be challenging things that happen. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Phyllis, always awesome to talk with you. Um, I'm talking to you, too. Thanks for chatting a little bit about FOMO um, today. And, um, you know, hopefully we can generate some conversation. You know, I know uh, Emily's got Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, educators connect with something that we've talked about um, during the last 15, 20 minutes, and we can start a conversation and um, other educators can support um, other educators in the middle school field. I hope people will weigh in and feel free to tag us as well to share your thoughts. My Twitter handle is at Fagel, F-A-G-E-L-L, and Joe's is at Joe, J-O-E underscore Mazza, M-A-D-E-A. And we will keep this conversation going, hopefully.